Our sponsor today is GLSA. For those non-members who may be listening in, GLSA, our Group Legal Services Association, is a professional membership representing the legal services plan industry and provider attorneys. And joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Check us out at glsaonline.org. Okay, my name is Tom Martin. I'll be your host today. Uh, Our podcast today is How Legal Innovation Became a Global Phenomenon with Aileen Schultz. She is the founder and president of World Legal uh, Summit, a global initiative happening in 2019 promoting worldwide collaboration in the understanding of legislative frameworks shaping emerging tech and global systems. Uh, Aileen also co-founded the Global Legal Hackathon. She's an award-winning strategist with a global footprint and a passion for creating better systems for exponential growth. She has a background in research, marketing, and digital strategy, having worked in the legal innovation industry for several years, and she is now senior manager of the labs program for Global Labs at Thomson Reuters. Um, Welcome, Aileen. Thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah, so as as luck would have it, today is the 4th of July, but you're Canadian, right? (laughs) I am Canadian, but nonetheless, uh, happy 4th. Yeah, to, thank- uh, those of your American listeners. Yeah, thank you. Um, as you know, I'm I'm uh, a, an American living in in Canada. So, uh, how did you celebrate uh, Canada Day? Canada Day, the good old way, of course, getting out in the sun. Um, <laughs> we uh, yeah, we were just uh, we really just had a dinner at uh, our in laws. Actually, we didn't do anything to, or I guess, my in laws. Not our in-laws. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we just had a dinner and didn't do anything too crazy. What did you do? Well, um, I live in North Vancouver, and it's it's kind of small townish compared to downtown Vancouver. And we had like a little parade on the street uh, where, oh. yeah, some cops in in motorcycles were doing wheelies and stuff like that. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you guys are a reckless over there. <laughs> we, I, I don't think we did anything like that here in Toronto. Well, and I'm, you know, glad you mentioned Toronto because, you know, I'd love to know what it's like to live in Toronto. I, I shared with you that I haven't actually been there yet, other than flying through, and it just seems like so much is happening there. I mean, you got everything from Drake and the Weekend to the Mars Development Zone. <laughs> to the 2019 NBA champions, the Toronto Raptors. I mean, um, what is it like yeah. living in Toronto? Yeah, it's amazing. And, and so, I mean, you, you, you brought up Drake and sort of, I've always had this funny thing with, with, with Drake and sort of, I, I sort of have this like love, uh, hate's a strong word, but love, dislike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love, dislike, uh, sort of appreciation for Drake. Um, because he's certainly, I mean, he's put Toronto on the map. Um, you have to give him credit for that. Um, and, and I mean, he's made us an incredibly um, sort of hot city to live in. Um, yeah, and I mean, his spirit, uh, the spirit he brought to uh, the uh, NBA and everything like that is, of course, I mean, you can't deny that. Um, and then I think that had a lot to do with the Raptors winning. Um, because I mean, spirit, sort of spirit and uh, support has so much to do with that energy. Um, and the thing about, I mean, the thing about Toronto that's so great, uh, and I was actually, I was just in Boston, I was talking to someone there who's a huge basketball fan, 
and he found out it was from Toronto and he just sort of was like through the roof excited um, <laughs> and, and, and he just you know sort of got all like, uh, sort of talking all this basketball stuff that I can't keep track of um, and uh, I mean he was happy he was genuinely like oh you know Toronto deserved to win Toronto deserved to win and all this stuff um, and so I mean I think that speaks to the beauty of what Toronto is in a global context um, is that it is, it is, I mean, it's actually factually uh, the most multicultural city in the world, um, but it's truly a, a world city. And, um, you know, and so the Raptors winning was, yes, a huge win for Canada um, overall, but it was really a win for uh, quite a lot of, uh, uh, quite a bit of the world, I would say. A lot of people are excited about the Raptors, not just Canadians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And, um, you know, it's really kind of put the, put, put the focus on Toronto and uh, it being a global player. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also just sort of, a, I mean, beyond being a global player, just sort of like, a, it's almost like a win, a win for the world too, right? Um, <laughs> or, or sort of, I mean, that's a strong statement. <laughs> I'm not the I'm not the I'm not the first to have said it, so <laughs> yeah. well Aileen, can you tell me a little bit about about what you do? I mean I named a few of the different things there, but like what is your your um, motivating principle? Like what is what is your passion? Yeah, so I I found myself uh so full disclosure, I mean I'm not a lawyer and I'm not I've never practiced law. Um but I've always been drawn to the law and uh, just in terms of it being, it's really the fabric that holds all of us together. Right. And it helps, it, it is what lets us function uh, together, um, you know, as a social uh, worldwide entity and, um, you know, whether that be at the nation level, the global level, whichever city level, and um, even, even in, in the context of our own homes, right. The law touches us there as well in terms of how we, uh, operate as a family, what is and isn't appropriate, all of, all of these other things, right? So the law touches absolutely every aspect of our living together, and and it's what makes that possible. And so, so on my end, I mean, in terms of how I, I just I love the idea of, um, well, the idea and practice, I should say, of actually making these systems better, uh, really whatever that means. And and so, yeah, I mean, the driving force. I guess behind a lot of what I do is, is, is really progress in a very uh, uh, broad, I mean, really quite broadly, just progress and true progress, not just, you know, on the microscopic levels, but in, in a sort of a real tangible, social, uh, global level and progressing these systems, making them better and, and law Law has become a uh, central point of that uh, agenda. I remember when uh, we first met, I had talked to you about, you know, what I was doing with chatbots and legal tech, and you were telling me about yeah, uh, the, yeah the work you were doing with, with um, the Global Legal Hackathon, and you'd mentioned yeah. um, network science. and. Mm -hmm. I've really found it fascinating because you sounded like you'd really researched the heck out of it. Um, can you tell me more about that? Like, like what is it and how does it, how does it kind of dovetail with, with what you've done? Yeah. 
Yeah, so network science, I mean, for me, it's, uh, it's something I discovered uh, in this program I took out of MIT. Um, and, and ever since then, it's sort of been this, uh, I would say, ongoing uh, educational journey of mine. And, and all, all that it really is, is the study of networks, right? Um, so exactly what it sounds like. Uh, the particular focus and, and this, the aspect of it I'm, I'm particularly fascinated in is uh, the social aspects of social networks. And I don't mean, uh, this is not, uh, I would say this is, this is a product of uh, social media uh, websites and channels, but it is not how it originated. And, and so out of these huge social, uh, I used to say social analytic platforms, We've, uh, we now have this mass availability of uh, data on how, how people operate in a social context. And so uh, network sciences and social analytics in particular, and um, sort of like the, the buzzword for it is social physics, is looking at how these systems of people operate. Um, and on my end, I, I find it particularly fascinating um, when looking at making these systems operate better. And so the the great thing that comes out of network science is, is just principles of change, right? So um, for example, there's this sort of like pseudo law, law of whatever you want to call it, um, where uh, three degrees, it takes three degrees to affect change. Um, and so anything beyond that in terms of connections is, um, effectively useless uh, and that's and that's based on um, of course there's psychological factors that weigh into that and um, as well as uh, you know even just sheer proximity uh, to other people and um, and so there's all this information that's coming out of network sciences which is a relatively new field and um, you know just because of its you know, the new availability of data um, on these topics and uh, what we get out of this is this um, better understanding of what motivates uh, different social networks. And I don't mean social networks, again, in the sense of media, uh, social mm -hmm. media networks, but in, in true social networks, right? So if we're talking about law, for example, um, you know, we're looking at a network of uh, legislative systems, for example. Network right. science provides this... this uh, uh, context to look at these things um, in terms of uh, operationalizing and affecting change. Um, and so my, I, I sort of like, I mean, I think it's going to be a lifelong pursuit in terms of uh, just better understanding um, this, this uh, field. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Is that about sum it up for you? Yeah. And I can see why it's, um such a powerful thing in relation to the law because yeah. it, it is about like if you want to affect change in the law um there's a number of different types of stakeholders that you need to get you know yeah. involved so it, it, there's definitely an overlap there that that i find really fascinating um well, yeah, yeah go ahead yeah, just under just understanding how i mean how are those stakeholders related how are they related how do they interact what incentivizes them to interact with one another what incentivizes them to 
uh, on board to a particular program and, you know, and then how, uh, I mean, of those stakeholder groups, because I mean, in, in, in a general context, people think about stakeholder groups, but they don't look at them in the context of um, a network in the sense of having uh, what, I mean, they're just called nodes in, in the network context, but you know, what are the central nodes in the stakeholder groups? I mean, who is it that is really your, going to be your agent of change? Um, and how does that person uh, interrelate uh, with all of the other pieces um, in, that, in that change puzzle, uh, you could call it? Yeah. Um, and, and so partly based on the success that you've achieved in applying that to the law, you were named last year as one of Fast cases, fifty, right? The fast case fifty. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, you know, it's a good thing. Um, and it, for people who haven't heard of it, fast case publishes a list of fifty people that they see as, kind of a le legal trendsetters or legal innovators, um, and so it, it is a nice honor. Um, and so part of that came from. Uh, your work with uh, Global Legal Hackathon, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. you're one you're one of the co-founders of uh, Global Legal Hackathon, and if you could just tell us a little bit about that, like what was um, the Global Legal Hackathon? How many continents was or cities participated? How many participants were there? Um, and 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 what was what was the uh, end goal? Yeah, so um, so that was something that I launched its first year running. Um, I'm no longer involved with it, but uh, the first year we did it was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was truly uh, the definition of social phenomenon because it scaled mm -hmm. to 40 cities across 22 countries. And these are physical locations where there's a three-day hackathon happening. It scaled to that in under three months. So we announced its launch early three December. Three months? And Three months. Wow. Yes. Three months. Um, and that is documented. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's literally documented on um, actually artificiallawyer.com. <laughs> uh, so, Richard Trovins. Yeah. And I just, I, I just want to put a point on that for a second because for those listeners that are, you know, thinking of maybe this network science or social physics is kind of like a theoretical thing. This is a real world impact of yeah. just a very impressive proportion. I mean, 40 cities across the world. That's amazing. Across 22 countries. Yeah. Yeah. In under three months, uh, it nearly killed me. Um, but, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly it. Right. Um, it really does speak to getting the architect, the architecture of change, right? Like, so understanding, you know, what does it look like you look like for whatever project it is you're working on, right? Like, what is the architecture of that network? And, 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 and then amplifying that and figuring out how to operationalize that. Um, so yeah, totally. Um, it certainly, certainly speaks to that. Um, yeah, as well as, I mean, it really also speaks to, I think the state of the global, not just in legal, um, but it's also a global sentiment, right? So there's this global sentiment um, where, I mean, the um, everybody's an entrepreneur now in, in sort of one way or another. Um, I mean, maybe that's a grand statement, but the idea behind that is really just that we're seeing this global movement toward um, people 
people feeling more empowered and having the tools to actually um, pursue their passions or to um, truly affect change in um, whatever it is that they're trying to um, trying trying to change. Um, and so in the legal industry in particular, I think what we touched on uh, when we launched that is that, um, and, and I don't know if this was something you want to get into a bit later, but uh, I think it speaks to just how uh, open the law actually should be. Um, yeah. And I mean, the, the law touches everyone, and yet it's sat at this sort of high-level, untouchable, um, you know, uh, arena that, I mean, people have become almost, um, like, law has, ha- has a bad name, right? Um, law is it, just sort of seen as this uh, tool that's used to manipulate people, and it's not, it's not seen as this positive thing that is actually the fiber of how we coexist um Mm -hmm. but the fact of the matter is that it 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 is that um and it should be accessible to everyone and everybody does have a say um in what that should look like um in their various jurisdictions um and whatever it is that it you know they're working on um and so i think what what was shown there through that uh, through launching the, the GLH is that uh, people are starting to become aware of that. Um, and now that we live in this digital era, the tools are actually avail- available for people to have a voice. And um, so, I mean, after we did that, I got letters from people saying, uh, like saying it literally changed their lives. And um, we got quite a few letters like that. And they were just, I mean, it was like the most uh incredible thing for them and i mean here in north america we don't see it like that i mean we think okay it's a hackathon i mean so what right mm-hmm. and but for what we don't realize in the north american context is that there's parts of the world where this idea of legal innovation is still very new if not even unheard of altogether and um, i mean i think that that's now less true <laughs> um you know because of this particular initiative but um yeah, I mean, I think that speaks to why it, 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 it ramped up so quickly as well, is that it touched on something that applies to everybody and it gave them the opportunity to have a voice um, in that. So, okay, just to back up a few steps. Yeah. So, so like a legal hackathon, you know, from my experiences, where you sit down with some different people that you're, that you're working with and you, you have a concept that you're trying to create a solution against there's some kind of issue or problem you're trying to solve and then people use technology to solve that problem in some way and and so what was the challenge you know what was the gauntlet that was thrown down for the the first year of the global legal hackathon yeah so it was really um it was really just uh there was, I mean, I guess you could say there's two two sides to the coin. It was business and practice law, so building technologies and better solutions for the business and practice law, um, and then on the other side, uh, uh, building better solutions for access to justice and, and good government solutions. Um, so it was really quite broad, which also I think was was a good move, and um, because it it again then provided um, everybody uh, a, a space to play in. And so. What 
what are like a couple of uh, of projects that you could remember that people put together as uh, yeah well so my uh, I, I don't I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or should say this but <laughs> it, it, it is true um uh, oh, go on there's <laughs> well there's one team in particular that um I mean they really just rocked the socks off this thing uh, and they're still going and they're getting funding uh, the team's called Annika um, out of uh, Australia and they I mean so so their solution is uh, I mean look them up as uh, Annika Legal A and IK and what their solution does is basically it bridges the gap between the need for students who um, they need to get uh, they basically need to be able to practice the law, right? So they need actual practical experience, um, which is very difficult for them to come by. And then on the other end, um, there is uh, lawyers who need to uh, provide pro bono services. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so their particular platform, what they're looking at is bridging that gap so that students um, can actually practice the law and then they have input from uh, currently practicing legal professionals and um, to help guide them along the way uh, and they're I mean they're just doing phenomenally well and um, there were uh, of course plenty of blockchain solutions and um, there were uh, I think it was in Nigeria was um, a solution that was bringing uh, basically providing a platform for prisoners to get access to information about their rights and um, and uh, what was, there was another really cool one. I, I think it was in New York. Uh, there was a solution for estate planning for third world countries um, using blockchain oh. technology. And so, yeah, right. Um, we don't think about that in the North American context, um, but that's a huge issue, right? So, in in you know third world countries where assets are not cars and mansions, assets are um, you know, livestock or, um, you know, homes that, uh, you know, like for, for us are like, we consider that to be very, like, we wouldn't consider that, um, in sort of this estate planning context, but for them, that's everything they have, um, in a lot of cases. And so how does that get managed and protected? Right. Um, and so that, that was a solution that stuck with me, uh, as well. Wow. So do you do you remember who won like who won the the contest uh yeah so there was actually uh for, oh you're quizzing me here uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh a lot has happened uh since then uh so we had i think we structured it with four so it was, uh there was a team out of hong kong a team out of germany the australian team uh uh there's team out of the states as well two teams out of the states hong kong germany australia yeah oh, oh and uh there was uh oh, shoot hungry hungry as well the team out of hungry one as well wow well it yeah. sounds it sounds like like you unleashed um just a a wave of of interest in and in actual solutions to legal issues that was untapped before, like, I mean, in, in such a big way. So that's, yeah. you know, congratulations on that. So now I'd like to talk to you a little bit about what you're working on now, which is 
the World Legal Summit. You you founded that, right? Yeah. And so Global Legal Hackathon was about applying technology to the law and how is mm -hmm. World so Legal Summit different? Yeah. 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 So so the GLH was focused on legal technology. So basically bringing better technology to uh, legal practice, whether that's HUJ or, um, you know, the actual business of the law. And whereas the World Legal Summit is focused on the reverse. So with the World Legal Summit, what we're looking at is how do we bring better law to technology? Um, and so it's not legal tech centric, it's, uh, I guess you could say emerging technology law centric. Um, yeah, so that that's the, the major difference. The other big difference is that we're doing it in two parts. Um, so when we look at this conversation of, uh, you know, like, so let's take the global war to win AI, for example, right? Um, this is this ongoing heated global discussion um, that is is causing a lot of uh, political tension. Um, and there's what, what issue is that again? Uh, the so the global race to win AI. So there's this, oh, okay. there's this belief, yeah. There's this belief that whatever nation. Uh, wins AI, whatever that means. So basically, um, I guess reaches the point of artificial intelligent develop uh, intelligence technology development, where that technology is effectively um, building itself. And um, whoever kind of gets there first um, and gets there best, uh, kind of will forever dominate. <laughs> That's kind of like the the conversation right now. Um, which is obviously terrifying. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's a scary. <laughs> a little bit. And, and I, it is, yeah. And I, I mean, who knows what the actual realities are of that. Um, but I mean, it just, it, it's just, that's the dialogue going on right now. Um, and so there are, um, so for the World Legal Summit, what we're looking at, uh, there's two parts of the equation, right? So there's uh, the sort of like more academic discussion, research side of the equation of, you know, what should these laws actually look like? You know, how are lawmakers actually making these laws? Um, you know, what are the policies and regulations surrounding these things? Um, and then there's the, okay, how do we actually put that to practice? So how are technologists who are operating at lightning speed, and, um, you know, how do they uh, adopt and, and abide by these laws when um, there's such a disconnect between the speed of legislative transformation and technology development. Um, yeah. And yeah, so we're, we're doing World Legal Summit in two parts, where part one looks at the research and insights side of the equation, and then part two is uh, development sprint that uh, creates an environment for technologists to actually come and, and start to put some of these insights into practice. Wow, so is this, it's called the World Legal Summit. So is it also yeah. uh, in multiple different countries and who's participating? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very much so. Uh, yes. So I think last we counted, we just had a few jump on board in this last few days, actually. I think we're at 28 or 29 cities now. Um, and that's across, I believe, 22 countries plus um, at this stage. I'd have to do a tally because actually I think we even today had some confirmed. Um, and uh, some of the interesting ones that are coming out of this are, uh, so for example, in Madrid, uh, Alan and Aubrey uh, just came on board with um, I, the IE Law School 
cool out there. Um, and so you're seeing big law get involved. And um, we also just had uh, um, the the Hague jump on board, and they're uh, likely to be hosting it at the Peace Palace, which is, uh, I mean, for, for me, that's just incredible. Um, that's super exciting. And uh, another really interesting one as well um, is uh, in Nigeria, the Ministry of Justice has jumped on board for this uh, project as well, which is, I mean, getting government on board for something like this is, um, I mean, I, I think that speaks volumes to the, uh, I guess, condition, the condition of the global dialogue right now, which is that, yes, now's the time. I mean, these, these conversations need to be happening and, and, and everybody uh, has a stake in the game. Hmm. Yeah, and some of the some of the people that you have involved here, I mean, you have Juan Luna for Latin America, Richard Tromans, the UK, uh, Tessa Manuelo, I mean, and amongst a, a number of others, it's just very impressive, like the, the caliber of people that are involved here. Yeah, yeah, they were, um, so, so those particular names you mentioned, those are um, uh, WLS ambassadors, and they've been, yeah, supporting it from day one. Um, in terms of what we're trying to accomplish there, um, yeah, yeah, it means a lot. It really means a lot for uh, well. Well, I definitely think you're onto something again uh, with this because, um, you know, the the application of the law to new technology is it is a little scary. Like just recently, yeah, uh, Richard Troman's actually artificial lawyer did a, an article about. Um, Article 33 in France and how, you know, they're um, having criminal penalties now if if uh, if a legal analytics company was to identify judges and how, you know, how they uh, decide cases, that, that, you know, that that's yeah. uh, now. Are you aware of premonition AI? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, if you could, they, but if you could, but if you could, if you could tell, um, if you could describe it a little bit, so people understand what it what it does. Yeah, I mean, they so they're looking at uh, court analytics as well, right? And so, um, applying predictive analytics to uh, judges and and sort of predicting how what the outcome of the case would be based on who the judges. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suspect they wouldn't be permitted to operate in France. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, incredible information that they have. Uh, definitely check out some of the work they're doing. So by bringing together, um, I would imagine, people within the government, as well as yeah. academics who, you know, dedicate their, their lives to, to studying and researching these areas of law, is, is are those some of the stakeholders that are involved in the World Legal Summit? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the goal that we're trying to do here is really to build the appropriate space for all stakeholders uh, to get involved and to get involved in the way that uh, is is most um, applicable to the role that they have um, in this in this conversation um, it, and more than conversation, but in practice. Um, and so, yeah. So, I mean, the stakeholders really are the full gamut. It's it's technologists. It's policymakers, lawmakers, it's government bodies, it's academics um, who are uh, 
I guess, who spend their time in a professional sense uh, looking at these problem points. And I think the first event for World Legal Summit is coming up um, August 1st. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. August okay. 1st. Uh, and it would be across a 24-hour clock um, because it's August 1st in everyone's respective time zones. Okay. So if anybody's listening and I'm pretty sure we're going to get this released before then. Uh, if you're interested in participating or learning more, uh, how, how would they check out, uh, get more information about World Legal, Legal Summit? Uh, so worldlegalsummit.org uh, is a great place to start. Um, and then certainly feel free to shoot us an email as well um, at info at worldlegalsummit.org. And uh, our social channels, we're on LinkedIn, Twitter as well. Cool. Well, Okay, so with your work with uh, Global Legal Hackathon, World Legal Summit, and, and now you're a senior manager of the labs program uh, with the Global Labs at Thompson Reuters. What, what is that? <laughs> like, what, do you, what, what is you, that? What you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing now there? Wouldn't you like to know? Uh, I would. No, I can't. <laughs> uh, you're, not, so you're not the first to have asked. Um, there's sort of this running joke uh, in the tech community that you can't, you don't have a community uh, communications person. That's not what technologists do. Um, and so senior manager of labs programs uh, is sort of just a fancy way of getting around um, calling me that. Uh, but yes, it is a, it's effectively what, what I'm doing with the, well, so first, what, what is the labs, right? And so yeah. Thomson Reuters, uh, a, a lot of people haven't heard of Thomson Reuters labs. Um, and the labs are really this innovation arm of the organization that works both internally um, and externally. Um, and the focus is really on the research discovery and, and prototyping uh, stages of uh, new technologies and um, so working with customer partners and um, to to prototype technologies as well as internal stakeholders and um, and so uh, that being said I mean it's not uh, intended to be uh, sort of like this money generator the focus there is really new technology right so um, building those partnerships that um, leverage the insights of both ends and also result in um it could be new products it could be uh, new features um working with law firms uh governments uh of course um tax accounts and things like that so yeah. so that's labs yeah and and um a lot of people haven't uh heard of this and um, and so part of why i've been brought on board is to help uh, to help share that message um, and to help um, both internal and external stakeholders understand how how the labs can uh, benefit them in, in, it sounds a little cheesy, but in their innovation journey. Um, and that's really uh, truly what we do at the labs. And um, so I've been brought aboard to help build that community and uh, get that message out there. That sounds fantastic. And I could see how, um, you know, having a player like Thompson Reuters to take notice of the work that you've done and to bring it into, you know, the corporate um, context is, uh, is going to be really, really successful for them. I think. Well, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's great. This legal, you know, legal innovation 
as a global phenomenon. It's um, it's really been something over the past couple of, couple of years for sure. And I know that you've heard the numbers in 2018, just this last year, it's been a 713% rise in equity investment yeah. in legal technologies, yeah. le- excuse me, legal technology companies, topping over 1.6 billion in 2018 from only 233 million the year before. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's going on? You know, like you have that amount of money invested, you have the explosive success of Global Legal Hackathon, now World Legal Summit, like there, there's definitely something in the air and you've put your finger on the pulse of it. So yeah, I, yeah. What, what, what do you think has resulted in that? I mean, I really, I think it does go back to, um, well, I mean, law applies to everybody. There's that, that piece of it, but sort of like in a business sense, like why is, why is it that sort of like from a business side, suddenly it's interesting to people um, and, and organizations and investors and things like that. Um, and I think largely it has a lot to do, oh, we, we, I mean, we all know that the industry's completely transforming, right? Um, yeah. And the likelihood of it looking like what it does now uh, in five years uh, is very unlikely. Um, and so, with that transformation, our new models are emerging, right? So new bo- new models for servicing uh, the legal, for both servicing legal profession, but also uh, being a legal service provider, uh, new models are emerging. And with new models, of course, new businesses and businesses that are going to be viable um, in a future-oriented context that currently or previously wouldn't have been um, because of the, uh, I guess, legacy infrastructure of a archaic industry. Um, and so now that these, these models and these shifts are happening, it's opening opportunity for uh, new players to come into the game. So, I mean, we see the big four is another, another one that a lot of people have heard of is, you know, the big four are coming in and uh, setting up shop in the, in the legal industry. Um, which of course is completely uh, forcing big law to reconsider their models. And we're seeing things like, so I was speaking to um, a friend out of Russia who uh, is, is incredibly active in legal innovation. And uh, they were telling me about uh, a company called uh, Megaphone, which is actually a telecommunications company um, who through a series of um, contractual events uh, are, have now become legal service providers. And <laughs> that, that happened because they had to, or so, so the story goes, um, I should probably say don't quote me on this, but so the story goes, what happened there is that uh, they effectively, they wanted to transform their legal uh, department and automate the whole thing. And of course, all of their lawyers, uh, they need them on board to make that happen. Um, but none of their attorneys wanted anything to do with it, obviously. Um, and so they basically uh, found themselves in a contractual obligation to ensure that these attorneys will still be uh, employed and, and uh, after the fact, uh, if they are to help them with automating their entire department. And so okay. the entire department was automated and of course they all lost their jobs. Um, and so wow. what ended up happening because it was contractual is that they had to create new jobs for them. 
And so now they have this legal service commission arm of their telecommunications department. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's kind of, uh, I think, a story for the future is like, yes, there will be certain jobs that go away, but there'll be new jobs that are created from it. Um, oh, 100%. Right. And it's becoming more sophisticated. You know, one of the things you mentioned earlier in terms of explaining this global phenomenon is um, you'd mentioned, at least at least in the direct-to-consumer context, uh, you'd mentioned that you know, the law is perceived as exclusionary and kind of has a bad reputation for that. And then on the other hand, there's the new availability of these um, technological tools that are democratically available, like to pretty much anyone who can spend the time and effort to, to make it work for them. Um, mm -hmm. So those two factors are, are part, part of this to, to explain how things are kind of starting to explode. Yeah, I would say so. Um, and I mean, I can only, of course, speak to sort of the pieces that I see through these these initiatives that I do. Um, but I, I think it's it's bigger than just that there happens to have been a few successful rounds of funding. Um, I, I do think it's bigger than that. Um, and, and does yeah, I think, I mean, digital availability is, is part of it, um, certainly, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, within North America and, and Europe, I mean, there's interesting examples like, uh, you know, Joshua Browder's Do Not Pay. Yeah. Just, and, and yeah, there, there are like the awesome, you know, highlights, like just recently he got an additional amount of funding. I think it's like over $4 million. So that's pretty amazing. And it's going to allow them to do a lot more in the direct-to-consumer uh, law context. But maybe even more, uh, more impactful is in third-world countries where there's things like you pointed out that we might, might not even be on our radar that really moves the needle for, for people and just having basic access to, uh, yeah. to legal. Yeah, and Joshua Browder, actually, um, beyond Do Not Pay, he's got another, I think it's his, his most recent project, is uh, uh, bringing at, basically like access to legal services to uh, refugee camps. Um, wow. Which is, yeah, 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 which is uh, uh, another great case in point. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, did, I actually yeah. had not heard of that. Yeah. It's starting to make a little sense now of, you know, like what 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 you tapped into and 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 what's what going on. Yeah. Um. And it, you know, it it makes sense. What what you're saying is that it, it's not, you know, it's not fairy dust, but it actually comes from this um, from an understanding of the structure of how you get people to participate and what you know what is their inherent need and motivation to change right yeah 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 and i mean the law is really something that applies to everybody right and so i mean if you work in a space like that and you can build something that um makes that more accessible to people or uh you know gives them a voice gives them an opportunity even if it's you know like not necessarily even just in an access to justice sense but 
even within their firms, right? So if, if we have these law firms that need to change, but they don't know how, and then you've got maybe, um, you know, a partner in the firm who goes to this hackathon or something on the weekend, and then suddenly they've solved half their firm's problems. Um, I mean, that's a big deal for that person. Um, and, and, and so it's really this kind of thing that uh, every, yeah, I mean, everybody can absolutely see. Well, global is definitely a recurring theme in your endeavors. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. what, do you, what do you see happening in the next five years in, in terms of global legal innovation? Do you think that this amount of money that's been invested, the amount of people that are, have been engaged, do you think that'll continue or is it a passing fad? Yeah, I don't know. Um... I'm almost afraid to, to, to make a statement <laughs> to that. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think the change is a fad. I mean, I think we're certainly moving towards new legal systems. Um, but 110%. And in terms of funding, uh, I don't know. I, that, I mean, I'm less involved on the investment side of the conversation. Um, you know, in the, the finances of it, but I could see, I could see that being more of a fad, um, simply because, uh, I mean, naturally, it's just going to plateau, right? So once the industry figures itself out and what it looks like in five years, and sort of like what is its new shape and form for this digital era, once that's figured out, um, I mean, we don't need these ongoing massive rounds of investment um, to, to get it there. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, so, I mean, I think it's, it's just indicative of where we are in this sort of state of change, um, that this is happening. Um, and that, I mean, that would be the case in any industry. Um, but in terms of global systems, so I personally think that, um, so, okay. So there's some people that say this, uh, these conversations, for example, like the war to AI and all these things are sort of pushing us back to um, sort of like historical levels of, of nationalism. Um, but I'm of a different frame of mind um, where I actually think that uh, because of the digital systems we're creating, the technologies that were, um, that were happening upon now and that are, that are evolving, we were moving into an era where we can have truly global systems in, I don't mean that in the traditional sort of sense of globalization, but I mean, for example, um, we could, we could foreseeably have uh, global systems of law that, that are not jurisdictionally bound, like even um, systems of universal human rights that are actually um, maintained worldwide or um, a conversation that's coming out of uh, blockchain world is, and this this idea of having a self-sovereign identity, and um, so that's an identity that you personally govern, um, and it's not dependent on uh, any one government or entity um, to be issued. Um, and I mean, we see there's a huge, huge, huge populations of uh, people called the Invisibles worldwide, which are um, I mean, people in refugee camps and elsewhere that. Uh, don't currently have any kind of record or credential or anything that even sort of 
proves their existence in the sense of being on paper um, or, or digitally, <laughs> I guess I should say as well. Um, and so when we're, I mean, the technology that we're now developing uh, allows us to start looking at ways to solve these problems in a truly global context. Um, and so I think that is something we're going to see more. We're going to see more of uh, globally enabled initiatives and systems um, yeah, I, I don't think that piece is a bad. So hopefully, it sounds like um, the law can go. The law can go from having a bad reputation of being exclusionary to one where the law is actually helping to include more and more people in the conversation. Yeah, I think so. I think very much so. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> He's not so so uh, sold on the notion. I, you know, personally, I I I am hopeful that that's the case. It just seems that historically things have have gotten, um, you know, become much more political when when it yeah. comes down to it. And I I hope that's not the case because we have, as you've you know, shown through your own work. A great opportunity here uh, to to connect personally with you know the world <laughs> and and get them involved yeah. in, uh, in creating yeah. the world that we want and um, yeah yeah and that actually ties into this amazing quote that you have on World Legal Summit, which is never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has from Margaret Mead. Yes. Yeah, I love that quote. It's a good yeah. one, right? <laughs> Definitely. It's very accurate. I think it's very, very accurate. And especially going back to network sciences, three degrees of change, right? Do you get the three right people <laughs> in the room? Change the world. Yeah. Well, thank you, Aileen. I, I loved getting to learn more about you and um, you know why legal innovation is has gone global. Um, how, how can people keep in touch with you and follow up? Yeah, uh, so LinkedIn, um, I'm very open to LinkedIn connections. Um, and certainly uh, I hope that if, if the World Legal Summit is happening in your city that you get involved. Um, and uh, I'm hesitant to give out my personal email, but heck, let's do it. Um, A.S.C.H.U.L.T.Z. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at worldlegalsummit.org. Um, you can contact me there as well. Cool. And uh, what is your Twitter handle so people can follow you? Oh, yes, Twitter. Yeah, I've sort of gone dead on Twitter recently. Um, at Copy Purist. Perfect. All right. Well, again, thank you, Aileen, for being my guest today. And thank you all for listening into our podcast how legal innovation became a global phenomenon with Aileen Schultz. Uh, again, this is Tom Martin. I wanted to thank GLSA for sponsoring. Remember, joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. You could check us out at glsaonline.org. See you next month. <laughs>